I hope you've had a good week. We've had a mixed week. We went to Legoland, which was brilliant. And uh, it rained, which wasn't so brilliant. But on one ride that we got wet on anyway, uh, there were two different uh, assistants working there. One had a face like a wet weekend in Blackpool. And no matter what anybody said to her, she was giving disgusting looks out. I very nearly went up and said something to her. But I didn't. I just gave her a look. Uh, but the other one, we invited her to come on our ride with us. And she said, oh, if only I could. She said, I know it's raining, but I'm having a good day anyway and enjoying myself. And it's kind of, that, doesn't that sum up a little bit about the Christian life? We can either go around with faces really like, like miserable, or we can actually say, do you know, I'm going to have a good time anyway. So for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want you to put on a nice smiley face and say, I'm going to have a good time anyway. I want to start off with a little bit of a quiz. Now, I don't know what you were like when you were younger, when you went to the library. Now, libraries are big buildings with old-fashioned books on, all right? You can pick it by reading the flyer, or you can pick it by the title, or you can pick it by the picture on the front of the book. Um, but I got to thinking, the first line of a book. Now, I've got some lollies to give away. If you can tell me correctly which book this, quote, this first line comes from. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Anybody apart from Louise? Uh, Sheila. Tale of Two Cities, correct. Oh, not bad. Okay. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Um, Nicola. Pride and Prejudice. You need to put your hand up. All right. Actually, you can take those. All children except one grow up. Correct, Mark. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Uh, um, uh, Laura. Yes, that's correct. 1984. Mr and Mrs Dursley of number four, Privet Drive. <laughs> Shannon and Brad. Yeah, but which one? Correct. That's a bit scary. Okay, it, uh, if music be the food of love, play on. Mark. Twelfth night, that's correct. There you go. And the final one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. Yes, could you give that to Mr. Jolly for me, please? Thank you. Okay, now... That kind of sets the scene for the Bible, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. Now, we can get tied up with God created the heavens and the earth. Did he do it in six days? Didn't he do it in six days? I don't really care. The fact is that God created. Okay? And I had an argument with somebody about that this week. Um, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that kind of sets the scene for the whole of the Bible. I wonder if you can tell me which... No, it gives it away. Uh, Job starts off. In the land of Uz, there, was a, there lived a man whose name was Job. 
This man was blameless and upright, and he feared God and shunned evil. That sums up who Job was. One sentence. And then we know the rest of Job's story with him being tested. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all set out their stall right at the beginning. Matthew says, this is a genealogy of Jesus and Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he then goes on to list it. He's kind of saying who it is. This is about Jesus and Messiah. Mark says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus and Messiah, the son of God. Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first. It's kind of like, you get a difference between Mark and Luke, don't you? Mark is like, this is it. Luke is, well, this is a bit more of the background and this is uh, everything else. And John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then goes on to give his account. Revelation says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants that he must soon that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So kind of revelation with all the prophecy. John writes right at the very beginning, this is a message from God. And for me, the Bible is, is such a brilliant book. And you can spend so long delving into it and finding lots of different things. Um, we're in a series about Psalms and I kind of am going back, right back to the beginning, and I want us to read Psalm 1 together. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great to turn to it. Um, Do you know, if you have trouble reading, I'd advise you to get a a big print Bible. It's absolutely brilliant, absolutely. Uh, Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they should be like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What an absolutely brilliant psalm. And it's right at the very beginning. So it kind of sets the scene for the rest of the 149 books that there are in psalms. And uh, a little background information. I I can find myself going off at a tangent because I get excited about doing a bit of research. But all I want to say at this point is that the book of psalms is split into five mini-books. Okay, Uh, so Psalm 1 to 41, that then ends with a kind of a little doxology, a little sort of like sign-off. And then there's 42 to 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and 107 to 50. Funny, isn't it, that Psalm splits into five, and the first five books of the Old Testament are what's called the Torah, or the law. And... The psalmist writes here in verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So bear with me, but I'm suggesting here that the, the, the psalmist isn't saying meditate day and night on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Because I don't know about you, but certainly after Genesis and Exodus, I might get a bit bored with reading all of the other things that there are there. 
But what the psalmist is saying is treat the book of Psalms like the law and meditate on the Psalms day and night. Now you might think that's a tall order. Well, maybe if we did a straw poll and I said, how many people spend 15 minutes or more on Facebook every day? Maybe a lot of hands would go up. And I said, maybe how many people spend 15 or 20 minutes reading the Bible every day? wonder how many hands would go up then. And then maybe one step further of how many of us actually spend 15 or 20 minutes meditating and thinking and dwelling on what we've read. Tough challenge, isn't it? Tough thing to think about. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we have a church full of biblical scholars who spend three hours every day reading, meditating, and applying to their lives. Well, so what are these psalms then? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary. Well, I didn't look it up. I looked it online in the dictionary. And it says, a psalm is a sacred song or hymn, in particular, any of those contained in the biblical book of psalms. Don't you love it when it's like obvious a psalm is in the book of psalms? I don't know. Um, And used in Christian or Jewish worship. So psalms are designed for us to use in our worship. Not necessarily corporate worship, but in our worship. In our worship with God, we are to use psalms. What are they for? Well, they're certainly meant to be more than just information. When we think of the law, there are a few of us, perhaps, who are thrilled by the prospect of looking at a 250-year-old law that was made to govern moving geese from Lincolnshire to London to be able to sell. Maybe you're not thrilled by that. Maybe you now want to go away and look on the internet and search for it. If you find it, that would be a miracle because I made that up. (laughs) But when we think about the law, I don't know about you, but I often think of a set of rules and regulations. A set of things I can do and that I can't do, or that I should do and that I shouldn't do. I recently got a parking ticket because I didn't pay at the meter and put it in the windscreen. It's a risk you take. If you don't buy a ticket, you get a parking ticket. The fact that some fascist was walking around at nine o'clock at night (laughs) is beside the point. I broke the law, and I have to pay the consequences. I've got a choice. Isn't it great how the council give you a choice? You can pay within 14 days, you can pay within 30 days, or you can wait until a thing comes through and says you've got to go to court to pay uh, the parking fine. And it goes up accordingly. But you know, the Bible's great because it says that we've all sinned and we fall short of God's glory. So it's kind of a great leveler there. It doesn't matter how much sin we do, we're still sinners. But our humanness says, oh, well, I'm not as bad as Bob, or I'm not as bad as... Harry or whoever. But the thing is that God's perfect and looks at us and judges us individually and according to his standards. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So when you read the Psalms, and if you haven't, I would challenge you to do so, some of them were clearly written by David, who was moaning to God about his circumstances. 
that doesn't mean that that psalm isn't inspired by God and is useful for teaching and encouraging and rebuking. All scripture is inspired by God. Every single bit of it. Even the bits we find boring and tedious, as well as the bits that we find really exciting. You can find almost any emotion in the Psalms. I'm just going to quickly read a few of them. Loneliness, love, awe, sorrow, regret, contrition, discouragement, turmoil, shame, exaltation, brokenheartedness, zeal, confidence, marvelling, delight, joy, gladness, fear, anger, peace, grief, desire, hope, gratitude and pain. Those are just some of the emotions that you can find in the book of Psalms. So don't ever tell me that the Bible is not an emotional book. Those of you who know me will know I'm quite an emotional person. So actually, I'm drawn to the Psalms because at any time, however I feel, I can find a Psalm that actually matches how I'm feeling. How great that God has taken the time to put stuff in the Bible so that no matter how I'm feeling, if I'm feeling lonely, I can find somebody or something in the Bible that is written about loneliness to know that God understands how I feel. And for me, that is a brilliant encouragement. But you know, I can't meditate on God's word if I don't read it and if I don't know it. So here's the thing. Poetry and music stir our emotion. It's a well-known fact. Which is why when you go to a concert, you can be really affected by the music. Perhaps on a Sunday, you can be really affected by the worship. But you know, when you're focusing on God, when you are singing godly words that focus you on Jesus, you're doing what you were designed to do. Yes, the Psalms are emotional. We are emotional beings. Funny, isn't it, how the God who created us, right in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. God created you and he created me. But it wasn't just enough to create a human being. He created us to have a relationship with God. And what the Psalms are, if we use them in the way that God intended, they are there as an aid, as a tool to help connect us to God. How brilliant is that? And I would, I, I challenge you, if you're, if you're never affected by poetry, then really ask God to affect you. And I don't mean breaking down in tears. I actually mean allowing God's Holy Spirit to commune with you. And when we read a psalm like, search me, O God. I wonder if we really mean that, if we are really saying to God, search me and know me. Because the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, the God who created you, has actually given you a handbook for living. And it's not a rule book, as in you mustn't do this, this and this. It's you get to do this. You get to connect with me. You get to worship me. You get to live the life that I want you to. Jesus himself knew the Psalms. He quoted them several times. And in actual fact, he fulfilled one of them. In uh, in John chapter 13 and verse 18, it talks about being betrayed by somebody he'd broken bread with. 
And that's actually a quote from the Psalms. So Jesus knew the scripture. He knew God's word. And, do you know, I have a bit of a phrase that I use quite often, particularly at home. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So if the Son of God, if actually God with skin on, who came down to earth, read and knew and meditated upon God's word, if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for him, dare I say, it's good enough for you. So just as 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it's, the scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, so Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Well, what does that mean? If you're walking with somebody, if you're in a line together and one of you is out of step, then it becomes very obvious that you're not walking in harmony. When you see marching, when you see, perhaps if you watch Trooping of the Colour on telly, if one soldier is, is out of line with everybody else, it really shows up. They are trained to walk and march in unison. So what the psalmist is saying is, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, which is the way of the world, which is not God's way. So if you're in step with the world, if you're doing things to identify with non-believers, with non-Christian people, then you're actually out of step with God. And here's the thing. If, if your actions following Jesus are not offending people, are you actually following the truth? Now, I'm not saying that we should go around and tell everybody that they're sinners and that their good works are like filthy rags, even though that's what it says in the Bible. The very nature of living as Jesus lived will offend people. Not in the, oh, I'm never going to talk to you again, you've said something, you looked at me in the wrong way, but actually because you are living biblical values, because you are living as Jesus wants you to live, the world will be convicted. And when people are convicted, usually it turns to conflict, shall we say. But the psalm goes on to say that we should delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night. That person... Thank you. That person is like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. So if we are meditating upon God's word, we will see fruit in our lives. So what is that fruit for? And I, I had a sort of like a, I, I have light bulb moments when I'm, I'm preparing talks, and this was one of them. The fruit that I produce in my life is not for me, it's not for my benefit. Now, you may already know that. That might have been something that you came to terms with hundreds of years ago. And that, that's really good. But for me, the challenge that God gave me is, are you a fruit picker or are you a fruit, fruit provider? So the fruit that I see in my life is not for my benefit. It's actually for the benefit of the church, for the benefit 
of the community. And I am not designed to be a fruit picker. I am designed to be a fruit provider, a fruit grower. And this is what God wants each of us to be. Genesis, uh, Galatians 5.22 tells us about the fruits of the Spirit. When we become more like Jesus, we begin to show those fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, and the one that I always forget. But we're designed to bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that is for the benefit of those in our church family. And are we able to be effective fruit bearers if we're not meditating on God's word? I don't know that we are. Because if we are, as it says in Psalm 1, then we will have our, our roots will be by a stream. We will bear fruit because we're, we are rooted well and we're receiving what we should in order to be able to do and produce the fruit. The leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Some people can take verses of scripture out of context and that never works. But if we do these things, then God will bless us. And of course, as with a lot of things in the Bible, it then goes on to say, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That links in with so many other scriptures about in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Uh, Jesus himself said that wide is the way and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But Jesus wants us to be on the narrow way. So if we're meditating on God's word and if we are using an NHS slogan, which is catch it, bin it, kill it, which is about taking every thought captive, not about sneezing into a tissue, a thought comes. It could be a good thought or a bad thought. We have the choice as to whether to dwell and to meditate upon that thought. If it's a good one, that's good. If it's bad, then we need to catch it, bin it, and kill it, and not allow that to affect the way that we are living. So, really, I have finished what I want to say, and I've got three challenges. Um, and the first one is to read God's Word and to meditate on it until it changes you. That's quite a tall order, I'm aware of that. But if you pick or if you, if you systematically read God's word and you meditate upon the passages or the verses that you're reading, then God will change you. There's no point really in giving up after the first 10 minutes or it doesn't work to actually continue to meditate upon it until it changes you. The second challenge is, is the way that you're leading your life offending people and I'm not saying that we should go out of our way to do that but it's a question to ask ourselves and thirdly will you join me for 75 days of picking uh, of systematically going through the book of Psalms reading two a day and meditating on them 
for 15 minutes. Will you join me? I've got a, a bit of paper that has a name and email address. And uh, I picked 75 days because, you know, it's good to get it over before Christmas. And if we did one a day, that's 150 days, which would take us into the new year. Don't want to do that. Now, actually, I want to change. I want to change, and I want to change quicker. And I believe in doing two psalms a day for 75 days will change me quicker than one psalm a day for 150 days. Um, so those are my challenges. But really, I just want to encourage us again that this psalm that sets a scene for all of the 150 scenes, uh, psalms is, Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And that really is our challenge today. Do we meditate upon God's word? Maybe day and night is too hard to start with. So that's why I'm saying, join me and start with 15 minutes a day. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Gareth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you, Lord, that there's such a treasure trust of things for us to know, things for us to read, things for us to meditate upon. And Lord, I pray for, for me and I pray for our church, Lord, that we would be blessed because we are delighting in the law of the Lord and we are meditating on your word day and night. Amen. Shall we stand together? We're going to close by singing a song and taking up our offering. Um, if you come ready to give this morning, this is part of our worship. If you are visiting today, if this is your first time, uh, we just want to say as the offering buckets come around, please don't feel obliged to put anything in. We want today's service to be our gift to you. Um, for those who are part of the church and are interested in the building fund and you haven't received any information yet, there are some pamphlets at the back and there's some information on the website. So let's just sing this song to close and uh, let's take up our offering as we do this.